The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hello, friends. I'm JJ Bull, and welcome to Total Football. The group stages are over and they've thrown up a heap of surprises. Germany are bad at football, VAR does not prevent the division of opinion and you should never ever give Diego Maradona white wine or feed him after midnight. On Thursday night, England fans were given a sobering reminder that they support England as a second string team put in a forgettable performance against Belgium reserves. Hopefully for Gareth Southgate's side, that A team, not that one, but it would help, will get the job done against Colombia in the knockout stages. We'll get the thoughts of Jamie Carragher on what England need to do to have a chance of bringing football home. We'll also head to Russia to discuss South American favourites, you guessed it, Brazil, and whether they're peaking just at the right time. But first, I am joined by former England player and Telegraph columnist Jamie Carragher. Jamie, how's it going? Ah, yeah, all good. How did you find the game? Did you enjoy it? Not really. It was it was a bit flat. I think it was evident early on what type of game it was always going to be, and it is a funny, strange sort of game. Both teams qualified in the back of the heads. Everyone keeps telling them that it's better to, to finish second. But I think a lot of people were saying that before the game. Well, to be honest, I think a lot of people were saying they wanted England to win. But knowing the fact that one side of the draw was a lot weaker than the other. But now England are in that side of the draw. On the back of a defeat, it still feels a bit flat. So it still doesn't feel right, really. Whenever you lose a game of football, it's never a nice feeling. But as I said, the job was done in the first two games, but only time will tell if it was uh, you know, the right decision too. Well, not so much the right decision, because I think I can understand the team got a Southgate pick, but if it's benefited us uh, finishing second in the group. Do you think he planned it? Do you think maybe he actually did, not sabotage, <laughs> but put out a team that he thought maybe would lose? And the lack of substitutions he put on late on as well, he was clearly resting all the big guns. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think very early on, Roberto Martinez came out and said he was he was changing the almost the whole eleven. So I don't know if that would have actually put something in Gareth Southgate's mind also as well in terms of saying, well, if he's doing it, I might do it in terms of resting players and looking after certain players. It seemed that Harry Kane was going to play and it seemed at the last minute that that was changed. But listen, I, I can understand what the manager did. I mean, my feeling before the game was to really go for Belgium and try and make a statement and try and win the game, no matter if they were, you know, resting players. I, I just feel England very rarely beat big nations in major competitions, uh, certainly in knockout stages. My idea was to treat the Belgium game as almost a knockout game. Okay, if, if some of your top players, maybe someone had a knock or someone was on a yellow card or something, obviously don't do something stupid and put them in. But I said a few days, I'd have gone a lot, a lot stronger and tried to keep that momentum going. But because England have lost doesn't mean the momentum's gone. We'll only see that when the next game happens, if the sort of the first choice 11, which we all obviously know what it is right now, can't sort of kick into gear straight away. Did you see anything in that performance that would it be anyone who would possibly get into the, the A team now? No. Like from that performance? No. 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 I mean... That's always the problem. And listen, that's not a criticism of those players coming because it's not easy, I mean, to put a mismatch of players together. Yes, they're all in the same squad, but that, that team would never have played together. The relationships between the players would have probably not played together too much in training either, really, because when you're in a tournament, the 
The training a lot of the time is geared around the first 11. So they're playing with each other day in, day out, playing in the games also. So you can't expect a performance like what we've what we've seen. I think the one player who I've felt should be in the first 11 is, is Danny Rose over Ashley Young. But I wouldn't say Danny Rose excelled tonight. I just think it's more the natural balance of having a left footer play within the team because I think that's something we struggle with. And uh, did he do enough? I don't think so. Did you say is Danny Rose the left foot? Is that more for attacking play when they have possession or do you think he's a better defender? Well, I don't think you can question Ashley Young's def- defensive ability. I think he's been really good defensively. I mean, you yeah. can see his performance against uh, Mo Salah, certainly at Old Trafford this season. Now, he doesn't venture forward. He's not the most attacking of fullbacks at Manchester United. Obviously, that's instructions from the manager, but he is a, a former winger, if you like. I just think the natural balance of a left foot means you can, when you receive the ball in that position, and I've, I've played left back as a right footer, it means you can take the ball forward, whereas Ashley Young will always have to stop the play and come back inside uh, on his right foot. But I don't think it's a question defensively. I think it's more in terms of going forward. And uh, I just think it adds something when you've got a nice left foot, the ability of, to cross the ball sort of on the run, on the move, on the first time, rather than always having to check back. But maybe I'm being a little bit picky because, I mean, the, the team have been uh, very good in the first two games and Ashley Young was a part of that. Something I noticed today was uh, how important Jordan Henderson seems to be to England because they played uh, Deer in that number six role and he was making passes that I think Henderson would have connected with. Um, I don't know if you think that Henderson would probably be the most important player in that team at the moment, apart from Kane, I suppose. No, I agree. I think he's a vastly underrated player. I think whenever he was out of the Liverpool team, you noticed him more and I think it was the same with tonight. I mean, Eric Dyer, I think a couple of years ago, in the tournament looked like he was going to be the whole midfield player for England for a long time I think he was excellent in the last tournament not too many players came out of credit in the uh, the last European Championship but I think he was one and you look around thinking he's going to be a mainstay of the team and it just shows how quickly it can change now where when Jordan Henderson comes out and Dyer comes in yes it's only one game but it does look like there's a, a sort of big difference there and I think longer term I look at Eric Dyer sometimes and I look at myself really and I think when I was Dyer's age, I think he's, what is he, 23, 24, where he's still playing a few positions. Sometimes he plays centre-back for Tottenham, sometimes midfield. I know it's a lot more midfield now, but I think sooner or later he's got to really nail down one position. And I think that was probably my feeling when I was around about his age, uh, that I end up nailing down probably centre-back at 25, 26 after playing different positions. Mm. And yes, it gives you a great understanding of the game, but you want to eventually know what position you are. And also for managers to know what position you are and try and nail down that position because as I said he looked like it was his position to lose really two years ago under Roy Hodgson Do you think it's difficult for a player like Deer who can obviously play and is good in possession but having to accept that maybe your best chance of getting into the teams is playing at centre-back where it's not more limited but it's a different you don't get to use some of the skill set that you've worked so hard to get to the level you're at No I I agree and that's the thing when when you're changing position it's sort of getting to the top in that position then you change again it's also training every day in a certain position and the different things that you you sort of asked of really I mean with Gareth Southgate playing a back three uh, I, you'd think it probably would be tailor made for a player who can play centre back and midfield that he could actually play at the back step into midfield with the ball but England do have players who can do that I think when he does play there I think the one thing he probably he does add that slight thing that Jordan Henderson probably doesn't do is that they look like there's a little bit of a relationship between him and John Stones and I think in one of the warm-up games I saw 
where they're actually swapping positions as soon as Stones went forward he would he would drop in between and it, it sort of seemed like a nice fit because they both looked like they could probably play in each other's positions but that was that was the only thing maybe that slight understanding there but in terms of midfield play no I think Jordan Henderson the longer we see him in the Liverpool shirt as captain and the more we see him in this England team young England team he looks like one of the leaders in the team so you can't do without him do you think we actually learned anything from today? I mean, I'm sure there's bits we can take from it, but is there anything about the the shape? Can you really tell any difference from what Southgate's putting on the training ground from a, a basically a B team to what the, the first 11 will actually do? No, I mean, the, the actual uh, system was similar. There was slightly different players within the system in that if you go back to game one, it's really been Jordan Henderson and, and two sort of real attacking number eights. Uh, today was more Delph there and Loftus-Cheek Loftus-Cheek likes to get forward and has done, done well in this yeah. tournament but Delph is slightly different and a bit more defensive more of a midfield player really rather than a, a sort of a number 8 stroke number 10 that we've had with Jesse Lingard and Deli Alley. But, uh, but against Belgium and against the teams going forward that may be something that the manager looks at uh, to play a slightly more defensive player if you come up against a well, we've got Colombia next, but going on from yeah. now, if you come up against the Brazils, Spains, if you've got ideas of winning the competition. So there are different players within the same system. So that whether it's the same system on paper, if you play different players who have different strengths and weaknesses, it, it almost becomes completely different, really. It doesn't matter if it's the same system. So there wasn't that fluency within England's play. But as I said, and be fair to those lads, all thrown together for one game it was never going to be that because that team hasn't really sort of played too much together. And, and I'm sure that team has possibly only picked a day or two ago, really, and maybe have only had maybe a couple of training sessions. Do you think Southgate was swayed by Martinez? Because he, he seemed to say that they were going to try and win no matter what. Is maybe a cunning ruse? Is he up to his tricks? <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, he's he, he fooled everyone <laughs> with the team sheet one. Uh, initially, I'm not sure if that was the team. And then he did change it to try and fool everyone, I'm not sure, before the one of the group games, but no, I, I just think the fact that Roberto Martins was so open and public about he was going to change everyone, he was more worried about sort of injuries and suspensions, I don't know if that would have gone into the manager's head slightly. I don't believe Gareth Southgate didn't want to win the game, he st- you no. mentioned before that he didn't make too many substitutions, and I agree with that, but he still brought a full-back or a wing-back off and, and brought Welbeck on. I think that just showed he was really worried about Harry Kane coming on and maybe doing something silly with an ankle or going over and getting an injury. So, yes, I think the, the well-being of the players, his first-choice players, was more important to him than the result. But certainly, I don't think anyone wants to, to lose the game. And I think the way Gareth Southgate spoke about that before the game, he was right that it's been so long since we've won a knockout game that we can't start picking and choosing. If England go out to Colombia or go through everything will hinge on that decision that everyone will go back to this game and say well okay the players lost momentum that's sharp and it's not playing another game we could have played someone else Japan in the last 16 would have been an easier game so you make decisions as a manager and going forward the questions will be asked to Gareth Southgate depending on how the result goes and that's that's what management's about and he's had an awful lot of plaudits for the decisions that he's made certainly before this World Cup, the squad he's picked and, and the decisions and the performances of the team. But as I said, the manager's there to be shot at. Is it the right decision then? I would have gone slightly stronger and tried to sort of win the game and not be too worried about who we were facing next. But I can totally understand that because the, the flip side, that is not even so much about the opposition you're going to come up against. It is actually protecting players at the end of a season. 
if you've got aspirations of going far in the tournament, how many games they'll play, and also trying to keep them fresh. That will give them an, maybe an advantage in the in the knockout game. They come up against Colombia, I don't think will have, have rested anyone because their group went right to the wire. So, we'll, you know, time will tell, but I think it's totally understandable with the, with the team he picked. And it wasn't a case of Belgium picking their best team and it was almost a certain defeat, if you like, because England were putting a weakened team out. Belgium did the same and one piece of brilliance has uh, decided the game. Now, I've not been in a professional football team before. You may not know that about me, but we've heard <laughs> a lot about team spirit with this England team and how that's maybe a driving force behind why they're doing so well. As someone, you, not me, who has played rather a lot of football matches, how important do you really think team spirit is? Does it have a big effect? Do you feel it when you go on the pitch? Does it affect how your teammates play with you? I think it has a big effect. I think even more so maybe in, in tournaments when you, you, you're permanently around the same people. I think it's probably important that you, you get on. There are good relationships in there. So I think it's vitally important in a tournament. And I think we've seen that in this tournament. It looks like there is a great togetherness. And I think the big thing that possibly helps them is that there's no real superstars within the squad. I, listen, mm. a class Harry Kane is a superstar, but there's not sort of five or six players vying for the role of, of, of sort of the alpha male, the, the main man of the squad to be the captain, the vice captain, whatever that may be. I think the squad is pretty level in terms of ability. I don't think there's a massive difference right throughout the squad between certain players. And I think that helps with the camaraderie. There isn't that sort of person trying to get the limelight or the, the plaudits. And I think mm. there is one world-class player or possibly world-class player in, in Harry Kane with the rest of obviously very good players and maybe can't match the ability of certain England squads, certainly that I was involved in. But at the moment, that camaraderie and togetherness looks like it's it's bringing better results at this time. I mean, how does it feel for you when you go onto the pitch? Though? Like, have you ever played in a team where you look to the guy next to you and just think, ah, I hate you, and you don't want to pass to them? <laughs> or does it... Because do when you're playing, I'd imagine that you're just so in the zone that you don't really think those things. Then it must carry something in the team. Yeah, I mean, I was just hoping people passed to me, really, rather than worrying about what I was doing with someone else. But I don't think it gets to that level where there's that type of thing. I think maybe in certain teams that I, I played in, sometimes people that get the ball and they'd always be looking to do the difficult thing or the special thing that would maybe make them stand out at times. I don't think we see that with this with this England team. It looks like, I think the best way to describe it is, the first two games is, it's like watching a club team where... Yep. It looks like there's been a lot of work gone into it. You see the set pieces. You don't normally see that at international level. And also the enjoyment they've got. But I must say the team spirit, people talk about that at club level, international level. And I've always said the same thing. When you're winning, it's easy to have a great team spirit. When you're losing, that's when the clicks start. That's when people start whispering in the dressing rooms, maybe shift and blame. When everyone's winning, everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's on the training ground the next day, laughing and joking, enjoying the work. So results plays a major part in team spirit. So on that same topic, moving on to a bit of Germany now, do you think that um, team spirit might have had something to do with just how poor they were in this World Cup? Yeah, because what will have happened with Germany is that first game, they're the champions, they lose badly to, to Mexico. They weren't unlucky. It was a deserved loss. And people do start whispering, the press get involved. People start trying to look after themselves, maybe feeding stuff to, to the press so they get a good press. So these little things can happen at, at every level of football, certainly at that top level. There's no doubt the quality within that squad. It's not an aging squad. It's probably players who probably should be coming to the peak, but 
haven't sort of failed in this tournament, you do think now that probably is the end for a few of those players, certainly in terms of World Cup. But I'd done a, obviously a column today in the in the Telegraph saying about uh, Germany. Yes, we can all enjoy it. We probably all have a little giggle and celebrate the fact Germany have gone out, but they'll be back. And it's, it's how they respond to that. They've still got some great young players coming through. They won the Confederations Cup last year with a, with a shadow squad, really. So... Uh, Yes, I think it has been a problem for Jamie. There was talk of Tony Cruz and, and Boateng having problems. I read something like that uh, this morning. But when you've got big characters, big egos, don't forget a lot of World Cup winners within that squad. Of course, when results aren't going well, that can affect the harmony. You mentioned in your, your piece today as well that uh, you've never seen a team so tactically naive, so experienced mm. doing these things with you know pushing fullbacks right up. Is that... Because there's no way Wacom Love doesn't know what he's doing. So is that players not listening to instructions is it just forgetting the game plan when their their heads are going loose what do you think it is on the pitch i mean i think it's maybe a bit of that a bit of that i mean you can look at it both ways i think for a manager whatever decisions he makes you know he stands or falls by them now the way germany played against mexico if a manager then comes in and says, right, we're changing, we're not doing this no more, we're not doing that, maybe the players look at him and think he's weak and doesn't believe in what they're doing. But the problems I saw in that Mexico game, I was seeing for the next two, the second game and the third game where they had two centre-backs who couldn't cope with being exposed, with full-backs pushing high. And certainly with Kadira in midfield, who, who is, his mobility is certainly to be questioned, uh, really. And I just think, looking at that, could they have made the decision... And I think that's down to the manager. I don't think the players would have gone on the pitch and done exactly what they want. But you have to remember, Germany, in all games, never took the lead in any games, which is a massive problem. I know that myself as a as a defender. You then have to step up. Your fullbacks will go further uh, forward as the game goes on. And you're always liable to be caught on the counter-attack. Now, that is a massive problem for every top team because a lot of top teams play pretty much the same way where the, the centre-backs yeah. are close to the halfway line they're trying to press really high to win the ball back at times the full-backs end up in winger positions or midfield positions so you can be exposed and, and what they fail to do time and again that we've seen Man City being brilliant at all season is stop the counter-attack and stop it early and win the ball back and maybe the fact they are World Cup winners that little bit of energy or enthusiasm to win the ball back quickly and stop the counter-attack, protect the centre-backs, wasn't quite there and something was missing. Now, if that was missing, and as a manager, you're looking at that and thinking, maybe I don't have the energy to win the ball back quickly, you may have to say to your full-backs, you have to be less adventurous because, yes, we've got two World Cup winners here in Boateng and Hummels who are fantastic in the last World Cup, but at this moment, they can't cope. And I don't think many centre-backs can cope if they have to cover the full width of the pitch as a pair if they're up against two strikers. Oh, yeah. It's very, very difficult. I've spoke about this before with, with watching Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool team, and I think Liverpool have changed, certainly in terms of the fullbacks' positions, not as adventurous or certainly not as, at the same time. And I think that makes a huge difference playing in that position, as, as I know well myself. Seems to be one of the reasons that uh, Southgate's got that three-man defence to try and help out a little bit with England not getting caught. Do you think England's result today is a bit of a reset for expectations? And what do you think Colombia will do to them? Well, what they've got is they've got a very experienced international manager. I think he's been the Colombia manager now for five or six years, Peckerman. He was involved at Argentina, I think 2006. I think he's coached all the youth teams. I think have been very successful in Argentina. So great experience. I think they've had a brilliant tournament. I think they were very unfortunate they had to send an off in the first game, which made them, I think, struggle 
until the uh, until you know today to get uh, make sure they got through. So I think England have got a really difficult game. I really do. I think Falcao has looked really impressive. I think he looked probably one of the best strikers in the world probably five or six years ago. I think he just missed out on the last World Cup, and it looks like he wants to sort of make up for that now. And I think we, we still look at the, the Falcao at Manchester United. Uh, where he struggled, but it looks like certainly in the uh, not today, but the game before that you know that finish outside the right foot that he's he's ready to make the most of possibly the last World Cup in his career. So I I, I think it'll be a difficult game, one that England can overcome, but I think there'll be difficulties within the game, and it's how England deal with that because they haven't had to deal too much with that. You certainly look at the, the Panama game; they dealt well with Tunisia getting the equalising goal, not particularly in performance-wise in the second half, but getting the winning goal from Harry Kane. But I just hope England, with it being an inexperienced team, if Colombia were to get the first goal, that they can react because it certainly won't be an easy game. Speaking of that inexperience, so in England's two first two games, they were very good in the first 30 minutes or so and you know really pounded into the opposition. But they sort of slow down a wee bit and then the opposition team seems to figure out what's going on and they don't create anywhere near as many chances. I'd imagine Colombia will be slightly more of a test than Panama and Tunisia. But who in that team in England is in charge of then switching things, adapting things on the pitch if Colombia do something like this and they figure them out in the first 10 and block them? I think to put the two games together is a little bit unfair because I, th- I agree with you, but I think obviously Panama was 5-0 at half-time. I think at any game of football, any level you play, there's always a, a drop-off in the second half normally. I think Tunisia was the worry. In that Tunisia tactically tried to play push high in that first half, left space for England to run into, which they exploited. As soon as Tunisia dropped off in the second half, there was no space to run behind. You're looking for someone to open something up, you know, be creative in and around the box. And England lacked that. They haven't got those type of players. So if Colombia do that, I think that's when England have that problem. Tonight we saw that. Yes, it was the sort of shadow team, if you like, but there's still no one within the squad. And that's not a, a criticism of these players, they can only do what they do. England are producing players of that ilk and Southgate can only pick what he has. And I think he has picked the right squad. But if England do go behind and are searching for a goal and the other team drops off, I think that's when England will have a problem. At 0-0, the start of the Columbia game, you'd expect it to be a sort of a fair fight, if you like. Both teams not mm-hmm. just dropping to the edge of their own box. So maybe England can exploit uh, spaces in behind Colombia. But that's what I say about the worry of if England do concede the first goal is have they got the ideas and the and the cunning or the guile to actually open another team up. So briefly, as, a, as an England fan, how are you feeling about chances against Colombia? I think England are favourites. I don't think it'll be a, an easy game. I think for most people on the streets in England I just think Colombia should be a comfortable game I think they're better than what we possibly think that they are in terms of name I think the experience of the manager I think is a big thing at this level and yes it's a game I expect England to win but I think it'd be tighter I think it'd be a lot closer than than people think but I think we'll just squeeze through a definite win then football's coming home (laughs) (laughs) the Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. 
Brazil finished top of Group E, despite never really appearing to get out of second gear of their World Cup football car. Other cars are available. They are now favourites to win the entire tournament, and so presumably have already started planning for their inevitable group stage exit in Qatar 2022. In Moscow, watching Brazil hit their stride was chief football writer Sam Wallace. So, Sam, what did you learn from Brazil's win over Serbia? How did Brazil look for you? Well, I did feel at the start that when they lost Marcello, it, it made me think that they certainly lost quite a few players. They lost Dani Alves before the World Cup. Danilo's got injured. Uh, Douglas Costa's been injured. And they don't really feel that Fagner, their, their right back, is, um, certainly wouldn't be their first choice anyway, although he's done quite well since he came in. So the fact that Brazil later said that Marcello, they didn't think it was a serious injury, that, that was pretty significant. I didn't feel... Obviously, Serbia have some players that we know and recognise in, in Matic and Kolarov, etc. They don't they don't pose a threat up front. I mean, Mitrovic is a, is a championship striker. I think we've established that his level. But in terms of Brazil, I thought they they were strong. I mean, they they moved. There's almost two parts to them. There's the team. There's there's the team as it as it plays very quick on the counter attack with Gabriel Jesus and William and Coutinho. And then there's Neymar, and he really does do his own thing. He stays very very wide uh, and. Um, and sometimes he, you know, sometimes he'll just choose to run with it, and it's very hard to predict. Although they don't, they don't give the ball to him as routinely as, for example, Argentina do Messi. Very solid at the back, I thought, despite losing Marcelo. And and when you can bring on a player of Fernandino's quality, then then that really says something, I think, JJ. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, mentioning Marcelo going off with that um, injury, do you think that might actually? have helped Brazil in that game shoring up that left side because Neymar he did do a bit bit of defensive work but I wonder whether you thought that made a difference to them yeah I suppose Luis Felipe is is a more archetypal sort of left back isn't he but I mean Marcelo is is one of the great one of the great players in that position in the world I know he he plays in a team that doesn't have to defend much in in its routine league season although some might argue that if Real Madrid had done a bit more defending this season they wouldn't have been so far behind Barcelona but anyway he I think the feeling before the game was actually that left side of Neymar and Marcello was sort of 80% of their attacking threat. And actually, that if Danilo had been fit, then you know he and he and William would have been a bit more potent. But I, I can see what you mean. I, I I just feel that that you know Brazil play that way. They get they get forward. They get on the front foot. Marcello is such a such a big threat down the left side. Yeah, he's one of the best left backs in the world. I think it's safe to say. Would you would you say with Brazil that they've found their form now? They kind of started a wee bit slow, but some people have said they weren't even out of second gear in that Serbia win. Do you think they're coming into it at the right time, playing their way into the tournament? I'm trying to remember which manager it is. I think it was the um, Arga Harai, the Danish manager, who said that the big teams tend to improve as they go on throughout the competition. Could be right there. That's just sort of I think Gabriel is a very willing, hard worker and and obviously he sacrifices a lot for the team. I, I, I don't think he's a goal scorer yet in the, in the kind of form of the Kane. They're obviously configured around Neymar rather than their centre-forward, which maybe tells you something about where they think the goals are going to come from. Neymar's international goal-scoring record is, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that struck me about them is uh, the way that the players off the ball were willing to get back into a defensive shape and really work for the team as opposed to previous Brazil teams, which might not have done that. And uh, the other part that was interesting is how Philip, Felipe Coutinho seems to really be the star of the show, despite Neymar pulling all the tricks and scoring the goals. 
Cristina had a very good game and he set up the first goal. And like I say, I mean, Neymar almost feels like the, the, the sort of, the, not the luxury because he's too good for that, but, but the sort of, um, the upgrade that's bolted on the side of Brazil and the, and the rest of the team, sometimes they play independently of him and sometimes he takes over and sort of leaves the orchestra. And I think when they, when they do, when they do play independently, Cristina is, is the main man. He does look for him a lot, obviously, but, you know, he, he fits his team very well. Are they more solid than, than four years ago when they just completely collapsed? So they, they, they did have good players then. I mean, I was watching they, on Russian TV. They played that 7-1 game recently and I was, I found myself watching quite a bit of it. I mean, you forget they did have a good side then. I mean, yeah. you know, they had Ramirez in midfield. Marcello was still in that team and it did suggest to you that when, you know, when things go wrong, they, they do have the potential to go very wrong. Well, would you put them as your favourites now or do you think there's still that small risk that everything could go very wrong all of a sudden for them? It's hard. I mean, I, I went to France at the start of the tournament and obviously they haven't they haven't been that impressive, although that last game against Denmark was a real damn squib in terms of what there's nothing on it. It was awful, yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to stay with France, although I, I realise that they've, they've, not really, they've not really delivered that performance yet, whereas I think... Brazil got close to it against Serbia. It wasn't vintage stuff. I mean, are they favourites? I suppose they're probably, I haven't looked at the odds, they're probably the bookies' favourites. It'll be interesting to see how Mexico play them. Obviously, against Brazil, you don't have the ball. So that kind of suits Mexico because they're a counter-attacking team. They've never beaten Brazil in three attempts at a World Cup finals. I mean, I host this fortune. I just feel like they... they've got a really good coach. I know they, didn't, they, they lost to Sweden. They, they, they know Brazil well. You know, I think that'll be closer than people think. Well, here's to some silky samba football. That's all for this week. Tom Gibbs will be back with more positive thoughts on England after the round of 16 fixtures have all been completed. In the meantime, do subscribe to the podcast and leave a review with Apple Podcasts whilst you're there. Our music is by Paul Vo. You can find them at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson and thanks to you for listening. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers.